passage of scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. The title of my message this morning is, It is Christmas, So What? In many ways, this has been a year like uh, none of us have ever experienced. Uh, This COVID epidemic has taken its toll on every aspect of our lives, and now we're seeing its impact on Christmas right here at First Presbyterian Church. And as we've already seen, a lot has had to change. When we worship, where we worship, how we worship, who we worship with. And then there's all, already the cancellations that we have had in our Christmas program. Our lives have been disrupted. It's been a very trying time. And yet I believe there's an irony to all of this. In all of the disruption of our lives, I believe that we are closer to the original Christmas than at any previous time. For you think about the disruption in the lives of the people in that day. Joseph, hearing that the woman that he was about to marry was pregnant. And then having to travel on a donkey with a pregnant wife to register for the census. Having to give birth to a baby in a filthy stable. And then the verses following in Matthew that I read, the slaughter of the innocents. All of this brought tremendous disruption. But this Christmas, I would like to focus on something that doesn't change. And that focus is the message of Christmas itself. For it is the greatest news that we could possibly receive, especially at this time in our lives. It's not a suck it up and bear it or grin and bear it message. It's the wonderful news about how God is at work in our world and in your life today. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment that when you leave church today, you're met outside with a news reporter. And he has a microphone in his hand, and he comes up to you and he says, I know that your church puts, uh, is a very busy time of planning and doing for, for Christmas. For all the festivities and all the services and all the, the, the money and energy that's put into it. Can you tell me what is the meaning of all of this? 
What is the true Christmas message? What difference does Christmas really make? Well, you could certainly talk about the importance of the family, getting together with loved ones. That's certainly a big part of Christmas. You could focus on various elements of the Christmas story about uh, the angels coming to the shepherds. And here we read about the wise men coming to worship the child. And all of these are a part of the story. But I ask, do they really reflect the true message of Christmas? I think it's a valid question. Because today what we see in our culture is a complete deconstruction of Christmas. Sometimes to the point we really wonder, have we lost its meaning and its purpose? So I have determined... That this morning I am going to try to answer the so what of Christmas. And there's one verse in the passage that I read that is so powerful, that is so life-changing, that it deserves our special attention. And so I'm going to tell you what this powerful, life-changing message is that forms the backbone of all the events of the Christmas story. And it's found in verse 6. And I will admit right up front, we can read this verse, and it might not be apparent what I'm talking about, but if you'll listen to me for a few moments, I think you'll get the picture. Here's the verse. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now you might say this morning, Stan, that is a a wonderful prophecy. I mean, here you have Micah prophesying hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, the exact location where he was to be born. But tell me, what makes this verse so powerful and life-changing? How does it answer the so what of Christmas? Well, as we look at this message found in this verse, I want to give you, relieve you of the suspense at this point. I'm going to tell you what the message is, and then we're going to look at it. The message of this verse that is so powerful is this. The life-changing message of Christmas is... God is faithful. And to understand this, we must journey back into a perspective of the history of redemption. For here in the scriptures, we are taught that in eternity, before the world was ever created, the triune God entered into a covenant that we call the eternal covenant. And in that covenant, at least one part of it, called the Son of God to come to this earth to die, to be born of a virgin and to die on a cross and be resurrected again for your sins and for mine. That was decided in eternity. And from the very beginning of biblical history, God made it clear that the fall of Adam and Eve did not catch him by surprise, nor did it nullify his plan for his people. But we read all the way back in Genesis 3.15 
that God made a promise that the seed of the woman would destroy the seed of the serpent. That there would be a coming Messiah from the seed of the woman that would bear witness to the truth of God's salvation. And over and over again we see in the Old Testament the promise of this this Savior, this Messiah, whose kingdom would be eternal. And so, there developed throughout the centuries a messianic, what we call a messianic hope that this king, that this savior, that this suffering servant would come and restore all things. But the centuries passed. Hope dimmed. But there were prophets like Isaiah that continued to promise that God was still at work and this hope would not be disappointed. But still, there was nothing. And then came finally the prophet Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And Malachi revived this hope. In talking about this Messiah. And he added a new twist to it. That this king would be preceded by Elijah. Who would prepare the way of the Lord. And then unexpectedly. It ended. 400 years of silence. There was no prophet in Israel. There was no word from God. There was no messianic promise until Jesus, born of a virgin in that stable, came and fulfilled the hope and the promise that was made in eternity. And you see, Matthew is quoting this Old Testament prophet Micah to remind us that in spite of the centuries of apparent delay, that God was still faithful in what he promised. And that's the so what of Christmas. What I'm saying is that the key distinctive feature of this passage is that the birth of Jesus Christ was a fulfillment of ancient prophecies made long ago that foretold the birth of this Savior. And what it tells us is that what God promised to do, He did and accomplished at Christmas. And that's the so what of Christmas. And so this morning I'd like for us to consider in this passage the ultimate proof of the faithfulness of God. And I believe this is something that many of us need to hear today. For many of us struggle certainly with the certainty of God's faithfulness. 2020 has been a year like many of us have never seen. And I know that many of you could sit there and say, you know, Stan, I understand what you're saying. I know that it's biblical. I've read that in my Bible. I know that God is faithful. I know it up here. But guess what? I'm hurting. I'm, how do I really embrace this truth of God's faithfulness when my business is falling apart? When I've lost so much of my financial security? When I can't afford to give the kind of gifts that I want at Christmas this year? Well, we know that this has been a season of great loss for many of us and for many people. For some, a loss of physical health or emotional and mental well-being. The loss of our retirement, of our security. 
How can we believe in the faithfulness of God when he allows such devastation to take place? Well, without trivializing any of this, I would like to remind us of a couple of important biblical principles that would help us to hold firmly to the assurance of God's faithfulness. And the first one is this. Learn to give thanks to God for His faithfulness before all the evidence is in. What do I mean by that? Well, certainly it's easy for us to trust in the faithfulness of God when all is going well. But can we learn to give thanks for God's faithfulness before we see it completely worked out? A great biblical example of this is Job. In a word, Job lost it. He lost what? He lost everything. His possessions, his wealth, his health, his family. Things just seemed to go bad to worse with no apparent end in sight. How do you find comfort in God's faithfulness when life takes a turn like that? Well, Job's wife thought she had the answer. Why, Job just curse God and die. Give up on this thing of God's faithfulness and just go your own way. But Job had a different perspective. In the midst of this dark night of his soul, he responded with a tremendous statement of faith in the faithfulness of God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now certainly Job's faith wavered. But over and over, he kept coming back to God, pleading his case. And in the end, God answers and restores his misfortune. You see, trusting in the faithfulness of God sometimes means saying, means saying Lord, I don't understand what's going on around me. I don't like what I'm going through. I grieve when my loved ones suffer. And I'm right in the middle of a pandemic, and I have some important decisions that I've got to make. But I'm going to trust in your plans, not in my feelings. I trust that you are going to be faithful to work it out. And brothers and sisters, that's not a faith that we can muster ourselves. That's a faith only God can give. It's a faith that God himself must come must be brought to us as we pray and ask him to give us that kind of faith, to see him at work, to see his faithfulness, and to praise him for that even when we don't see all of the evidence. That's the first principle. Secondly, look behind the trouble and brokenness of your experience and revel in what God has already done. You see, brothers and sisters, we have already experienced a boundless measure of the faithfulness of God that has settled our destiny for all eternity. And if we didn't get another thing from the hand of God, we would be spending all eternity thanking Him for what He's already done. And this is what captivated the mind of the Apostle Paul. 
I want to read a little passage here that I think reflects exactly the point that I'm making. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is a bleak picture. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, get this, children of wrath as just like the rest of mankind. But then comes two words that changes everything. But God. But God. Being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness Toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Brothers and sisters, that's something He's already done. Those are things He has already given us. So I ask all of us have we been robbed of the wonder of God's redeeming love and the forgiveness of our sins? How he has has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. How he has accepted us as his very own and into his very own family. Has the wonder and mystery of, of God's love escaped us? And if so, it desperately needs to be restored. We must see behind all of the issues in our lives to a God who has already done so much for us. In Romans 8, uh, there's a verse that expresses this so well. It's in verse 32. And here's what Paul says. He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Now this is a beautiful argument because it's an argument from the greatest to the least. And what Paul is saying is if if God has been so faithful to give us all of these things, if he's been so faithful to redeem us and send the Lord Jesus Christ, is is there anything that he would withhold from us? If he's done the greatest thing, Would he not also do the least? I want to close this morning with the story of one of my favorite prophets. Who I believe speaks so much uh, to this understanding of the faithfulness of God. It's the prophet Hosea. And there's a very powerful story in the first chapter 
God comes to this prophet. And he says, Hosea, I have someone that I want you to marry, but it's a woman of the world, a prostitute. And I want you to marry her. But I want you to know this, Hosea, she's going to break your heart. She's not going to return the love. And so, I, and so Hosea does. He marries this woman and he loves her. He loves her, but she doesn't return the love. And she goes out in adulterous relationships. And one day, Hosea walks by a slave market. And she, he sees her being sold as a slave. And he buys her back and takes her home. And she lives with him again. You and I are the Gomers. We are the faithless people. Hosea represents the faithfulness of God that not, only, not even the faithlessness of God's people can destroy his faithfulness. And I believe above everything that is the message of Christmas. We have a faithful God who loves us to the very end. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness that in, in times past you have blessed us immeasurably above and beyond all that we could ask or think. Lord, we trust you in these days of uncertainty. Work out your plan in, in ways that only you can. We thank you in Jesus' name. Mighty name. Amen.